Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Zuckerberg was behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. That is how you hop aboard on this Thursday night. We are two days away now. Now we can do the math. It's less than 48 hours away. Eagles, Giants, Lincoln Financial Field, the NFC Divisional Playoff. I can't wait for this game coming up on Saturday here. Eagles, 7.5-point favorite. And it's interesting because it's not your typical opponent here, right? It's not a team that we don't know much about. And we know a lot about the Giants. Face them twice a year. And obviously, we've seen them a lot recently. You know, the game up in New York in early December. Then the game here in Week 18. And now again. So it's a very short period of time seeing the same team. Yet... And we'll talk to our next guest about this. I'm not even sure how much we could truly take away from either of the first two matchups this year. I mean, you go back to the first time they played, and the Giants were pretty banged up on defense. Like, they were pretty undermanned, and the Eagles just destroyed them up there in New York. And then you go to the game that was played here a few weeks ago, and it had a field of preseason game. I mean, it just it was like the Eagles were going through the motions to try to get through it, make sure Jalen Hurts is okay, not hurt that shoulder, and the Giants played their backups, including a quarterback that no one knew he was, you know, until he played decently in that game. It was like, it was, what, what do we do with those two games? And here we go again, Giants-Eagles Saturday night, 8 o'clock at the link. Let's talk about that. Let's go out to the guest line right now to a guy I know. I uh, actually saw him at Elliott Shore Parks' wedding over the summer and used to work with him over at NJ.com. He is now at SNY up in New York covering all of New York football, including a Giants team that I don't think any of us thought, probably including Connor, that would be at this stage of the season. Connor Hughes, SNY, joining us right now. How you doing, Connor? I'm doing well, Joe. How you doing, man? Well, we're doing well, and... Uh, excited for this game that I don't think any of us probably thought was going to happen if, no. if you said it seven or eight weeks ago. Connor, what point this season did you feel like something was going on with the Giants and maybe this was going to end up a, a good team? Because it's been a bad team for years. I'll be honest, Joe. I, I don't think at any point this year did I think that that was going to happen. And a big reason for that is, is, you know, we saw this team every day in OTAs, every day in minicamp, every day in training camp, and, and they just did not have the makings of a very good football team. You know, they had issues on the offensive line. They had issues at receiver. They had issues in the secondary, issues at times on the defensive line, uh, cornerback, linebacker. I mean, they had their problems. They, they were not a good football team. That's why you had people picking this team to win three games, four games, five games. I think my projection was five or six, maybe. You know, they could take a couple from Washington and, and steal a couple from the other weak opponents on their schedule, but they just were not going to be very good. And this entire season, you've kind of been waiting for that bubble to burst or, or thinking that that bubble is going to burst, but it just hasn't. And, and I think a lot of credit needs to go to Brian Dable. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Daniel Jones under center for kind of reinventing himself in this new offense. And they've just continued to chug along and, and play this style of football where they embrace playing ugly. They embrace uh, basically taking teams out to the deep end and seeing if you can tread water as long as they can. And if you don't, they win the game. But I think the first time maybe that, that I could say, like, holy cow, this, this might be a team that could potentially make a little bit of noise was actually the second Vikings game just last week in the playoffs because that was the first time you saw the offense really come together, albeit against a pretty bad defense. Uh, and then also the defense make plays when they counted. But aside from that, honestly, this entire week, it's been like, you know, the, the old cliche uh, from, uh, what is it, Jesse Pinkman of he can't keep getting away with this. It was that kind of saying of like, you, you were waiting for this to end. Yeah, well, I mean, they were outscored this season. So obviously a lot of those games were, yeah. were very close. They won a lot of close games. Connor, uh, you mentioned Dable and Jones. And, and I've made a comp as I've watched Jones evolve here. It, it reminds me, and, the, and the, tra- the trajectory of his career too, of Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith was terrible mm-hmm. with the 49ers. I mean, horrendous the first three or four or five years. And in, in the moment, it was like, well, he's a bust. But then as time went on, you're like, wait a second. 
I guess he had Mike Singletary and Mike Nolan. Like, maybe they ruined him. And then the Giants, about a year ago, said, well, we're, we're ruining Daniel Jones. He can play. And I, I was skeptical. But then, like Alex Smith, when he got Jim Harbaugh, he turned into a good quarterback, and he stayed a good quarterback. Do you think Jones is now a good quarterback and will stay a good quarterback? You know, that's the thing, is that I, I think going into this year, the way that I felt about Daniel Jones was that he was in that Ryan Tannehill uh, area, that Ryan Tannehill tier where – you have a quarterback where if you put good coaching around him, you put good skill positions around him, you could put a good team around him, you can win some legitimate games with Ryan Tannehill. That's how I felt with Daniel Jones. Now, I think the way that he's played the last month of the season, the way that he's kind of put the Giants on his back at different times, whether it was against the Colts, and I know they're bad, or against Washington or now against Minnesota, I think he's done enough where you can kind of say that maybe he can be a little bit better. Now, I don't think there's ever going to be a time when Daniel Jones is a top five quarterback, I don't know if there's going to be a time where he's a top eight. Maybe there would be a season where he could crack top 10, like you saw Eli do or Flacco do or things like that. But I think what he has proven is that he can be a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. If you put good legitimate pieces around him. And the big reason why I say that is for the first time in his career. And, and you can say Brian Dable, you can say Mike Kafka, you can say different things that have gone right for, for Jones this year, but more than anything else, I've seen him elevate the play of those around him. And I think that's probably the the number one sign of a really good quarterback. You know, when you talk about Ryan Tannehill, you're talking about a quarterback there who plays to the talent that's around him. You have good pieces around him, Tannehill's going to play well. You put bad pieces around him, Tannehill's probably going to struggle. I think that Daniel Jones is better than that because you look at the playmakers that he's working with right now, aside from Saquon Barkley, and there really isn't that much there. Darius Slayton isn't a stud. Isaiah Hodgins is not a stud. Richie James, not a stud. Daniel Bellinger, not a stud. But you have a number of these guys now that are playing like legitimate NFL playmakers. I mean, you look at the last four games that the Giants have played, and you remove that Eagles game, because like you were saying you know, before I came on there, that, that this is a, a, a game that basically the backups played. So you take that game out of the equation – and if you take that four-game stretch from James, from Slayton, and from Hodgins, and you expand it over a 17-game season, James and Hodgins would both be 1,000-yard receivers, and, and Slayton would be at 800. I mean, I don't think that Hodgins is a 1,000-yard receiver in the NFL, but that's the way that he's playing right now. Same thing with Slayton, same thing with James. And a big reason that they're playing this way is because of their quarterback. And when you have a quarterback that starts to now bring the guys around him up and elevate their play and, and, and really level them up, I think that is a sign, a good sign of things to come. Now, it begs the question, like, all right, say you give Daniel Jones a legitimate number one receiver. Say you fix up the interior of the Giants' offensive line, and Evan Neal takes another step. Well, what kind of quarterback are you going to look looking for? I don't think we live in a day and age where you necessarily need a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes to, so that you have to win. It certainly helps, but you don't need one. You can win if you got good pieces around the quarterback aside from that. And I think that's where we're at with Daniel Jones, where he's shown he's a good quarterback. Maybe he's not great, but in the NFL, in a lot of ways, good is good enough. We're talking to Connor Hughes here, SNY up in New York. Connor, we well, we both agree. I think everyone would agree. That Week 18 game, we could just kind of throw it out. Yeah. Giants are playing backups, and, and Jalen Hurts obviously is playing a, kind of a skim milk version of himself just to stay healthy but get the win. What, what do you take away from the first matchup? I did mention the Giants pretty banged up going in that game, and if I remember right, it was like Saquon played, but then they didn't really play him much because they had the Washington game yep. the next week. Do, do you take a lot from that? Like, what did you see in that game that whether maybe the Giants are better than they were then or that is a worry for the Giants? That was honestly the game that, that was played where I was like, okay, the Giants are who we thought they were, where, where it was, okay, now they've played a legitimate top-tier team, and that top-tier team, you know, took them out. I mean, they did. It, it was it was a bloodbath. I know the Giants just scored some late points there, and, and points in the game was – 
was meaningless to make it, what was it, 48-22 was the final or something like that. So, I mean, it, it looked maybe closer than you expected, but it really was. I mean, it was over in the first quarter, uh, second quarter when the Eagles jumped in front there, 21 nothing or whatever it was. And it was Brown demolishing the Giants' secondary and the Eagles running rampant on the Giants' front and the offense not being able to protect Daniel Jones. But I will say that the Giants team that walked off the field there at MetLife Stadium, I mean, they have gotten progressively better in just about every single area than they were from that team. So I, I think this is going to be closer than that. And a big reason for that, and I'm not saying the Giants are going to win this game, but I think it'll be closer than that just because of the fact that the Giants have developed, the Giants have evolved. Daniel Jones significantly better. Those receivers I was just talking about, they were just scratching the surface as what they could potentially be that game. I mean, they really were still figuring things out. And at that point, the Giants offense really was Saquon Barkley and only Saquon Barkley. And if Saquon Barkley didn't make the plays, well, the Giants offense was going to make the plays. So now you've got a healthy Saquon Barkley. You have an offensive line that against a, a pretty decent Vikings defensive line played really well last week. I mean, it, uh, Daniel Jones dropped back 39 times. I think he was pressured six, sacked three. But one of those three sacks was one that Jones intentionally took uh, to have the Vikings have to eat up another one of their timeouts late in that game. So the offensive line is playing better. The receivers are playing a lot better. Daniel Jones is playing better. Saquon Barkley is healthy. So offensively, the Giants, I think, are going to be able to do a little bit more than they did in that first game. Defensively, they've got a Dory Jackson back now. They've got Xavier McKinney back now. I mean, they have a, a Kayvon Thibodeau kind of coming to his own now as a pass rusher. They've got some pieces there as well. Now, again, they are not in any way, shape, or form even near the level of talent that that Eagles roster has. I mean, I think you could trot out the Eagles' backups, all of the Eagles' backups, and they'd probably still be favored by a point or so against the Giants. But at least now the Giants are playing significantly better with 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 then when you loop in the fact this is the third time these teams are playing. It is a divisional game. It is the playoffs. Giants coming off that big win. Uh, Eagles potentially with the week off, maybe a little bit of rust there. Uh, I, I think that you could have a closer game uh, than, than certainly we saw in that first matchup. Connor, where's the weakness on the Giants that they haven't been able to really patch up? Because I, I always I have this theory in sports, whenever a team loses, like whenever their season ends, whether it's this regular season ending mm-hmm. or like in the playoffs, like whatever round, it always kind of comes back to whatever you always deep down knew was the problem. The other teams will find a way to exploit it. What yeah. What's their biggest issue right now that you think the Eagles are looking at tape and saying, that's where we're going to get them? I think the Eagles are saying that if we can shut, if we can, I mean, defensively, if, if they can load the box and shut down Saquon Barkley, they are going to feel pretty good about Bradbury and Slay shutting down the Giants receivers and, and being able to control those guys man to man, which is what's going to allow that front four that the, that the Eagles have down there. I mean, what is it? I was talking to Dave Zangaro about this, like 70 sacks. Yeah, uh, third, I think third most ever in the history of the NFL, which yeah, is crazy. That's ridiculous, man. Like, I was sorry, because I looked it up, because I remember when the Giants won the Super Bowl in 07. Uh, they were considered, like, and that was Yumanura, Tuck, straight hand. It was like, oh, man, how nasty that defensive line is. They had 53 sacks that year. So, I mean, it, it's just a, absurd numbers that the Eagles have put up. And I know the NFL is more pass-happy now, but still, that doesn't discredit anything. So, I, I think if the Eagles are able to just shut down the run, man up on the outside with two corners that are playing, like some of the be- one of the best tandems in the NFL, they're going to be able to feast on that Giants offensive line that, aside from Andrew Thomas, has had some issues at different spots, especially Evan Neal in his first year. And then defensively, I think the Giants have some legitimate problems opposite Adoree Jackson. Now, I don't think Adoree Jackson is some shutdown corner, but he's pretty good. Opposite him, though, there, there are some legitimate issues over there. And their defense, aside from that, the linebacker position, they can get after him, and they make a lot of mental errors where he can get after those guys. Defensive line's pretty good. Not elite pass rushing yet. You know, Adjulari and, and Thibodeau, I mean, there's a lot of talent there, but I don't think they're 
uh, anywhere near like a Redick, like a guy who's going to get 10 plus sacks. It seems like every year, Fletcher Cox, you know, they don't, they don't have guys like that yet. They could be developed. They're not there yet, but if that pass rush can't get home and, and that top tier Eagles offensive line can protect and Jalen, uh, Jalen Hurts can, can pick apart the secondary, you know, avoiding a Dory Jackson side, I think that's probably where we're going to see this one potentially be the, uh, the mismatch or, or where the Eagles could exploit some weaknesses. Uh, kind of let's end with this. Um, what, what do you feel on the confidence level with that Giants team is the coaching staff? And have you, you know, kind of gleaned anything what they think about what's going on with Jalen Hurts? It's been kind of a mystery thing here for four or five weeks. I mean, yeah. the one thing we know is he's off the injury report this week. That is is obviously a good development for the Eagles. The one thing I was saying, Connor, is until the game starts, we won't know if he is willing to play like himself. Obviously, he's feeling yeah. better, but we won't know. And I think it changes the game significantly if he's not willing to run. Because if he's willing to run, I think the Eagles are going to win this game. If he's not, I think it's a very tight contest. Yeah. Uh, they're going in as if it's as if Jalen Hurts is 100, percent and that's the right way to do it. You you can't you can't prepare anyway. I mean, you can't be caught with your pants down if you go in there saying, "Hey, he's going to be the quarterback we saw Week 18, who was timid running and just trying to play within the pocket and, and things like that." And then all of a sudden, he comes out and he's the MVP candidate, and you're just like I said, caught with your pants down and and, and screwed for for lack of a better word. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're gonna they're gonna prepare as if he is. Uh, without a doubt, you know, going to be the, the Jalen Hurts that was earning MVP votes earlier in the year. Now, uh, as far as the Giants' confidence level, I think they're they're flying pretty high. I mean, the, I think it was John Mara talked to the New York Post after the game and made a comment about, you know, we're back. The, the players were as loose as I've ever seen them in, in the locker room. I, I don't think they're coming in here expecting to blow the Eagles out, but they now are starting to feel themselves a little bit because they see an offensive line that's working. They see receivers that are stepping up. Saquon, obviously, is still Saquon. Daniel Jones was doing the gritty today at practice, you know, before they broke. I mean, there is a legitimate confidence within this team where they're not coming in here feeling like they're playing with house money, which is kind of a coin term that's been dropped quite a bit over the last week or so here with the Giants after they made the playoffs. They're not coming in there with that feeling. They're not coming in saying we're, you know, we're, we're just happy to be here. I mean, they're coming in fully expecting to compete against the Eagles and beat the Eagles. I mean, that's their mindset is they feel like they can do that. They feel like they can upset them. And again, now, can they do it? Honestly, Joe, like my, my opinion on it is that they, if the Eagles hit the ground running and there is absolutely no rust and they are truly just rested, the Eagles are probably going to win this one and, and, and cover it. I mean, I could see it being a two-touchdown game, a 10-point game, something like that. But if there is, Jalen Hurts has only played the one game and it was against the Eagles since the Bears. You know, uh, Lane Johnson's missed some time. All the other guys who have had like little nicks and nags, plus you then take the week off. And did they really go all out against the Giants week 18? If you're looking at all of that, and there is a chance or the outside chance, say, that the Eagles start slow or it takes them a quarter, a quarter and a half to really find their rhythm and the Giants are able to take what they did in Minnesota and jump in front by maybe 10 points or 14 points early, then I think we get into the anything can happen. But if the Eagles truly hit the ground running, like, like I know a lot of people there in Philly expect them to, I mean, this one, this one could potentially uh, – be one that has the Eagles celebrating throughout the fourth quarter. It's going to be a fun one. Eagles, Giants, yeah. Saturday. Connor, I always appreciate hopping on. Uh, take care, pal, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. There he goes. Connor used SNY up in uh, in New York. No Connor uh, or Jays. Actually, there was, then there was a point where myself, Connor, and Elliot intersected together, working together at NJ.com. So I've known Connor. He's, he's a good guy, and um, 
Sounds like the Giants are confident, but they're expecting Jalen Hurts to play like Jalen Hurts. I mean, I and now I am too, and that's what I want him to do if they're going to go win this game. All right, we want to play for you, Dave Dabrowski, because it's, it's, I think it's a big deal when the Phillies team president comes on this radio station and talks a month before spring training and kind of gives a stat, a, a state of the team. So we'll we'll bring that to you. He was on with the Cam Ritchie today in a, in a minute, but I, I just I want to address something first. A, a major event here for the for I think for all of WIP, one of our own was. Um, was named to a so it's Tucker obviously I'm trying to find the exact uh, write up here you Tucker you tell us about it so you're a Temple alum proud Temple alum I mean yeah go Owls go Owls I mean they beat ECU last night I'm sure everyone watched I mean I, I'm not I mean this is obviously silly but this is this part is not facetious Tucker is a big Temple fan like he went there he's a fan he watches their basketball games they I don't got know number why. one Houston coming up on Sunday I don't know why he goes to their football games I mean he followed Matt Rule's career because he was a Temple coach like he, this guy loves Temple. So so it must have been a big honor when you were honored by them today. Yeah, so I got an email today around 4.30 p.m. from the Temple University Alumni Association, and it reads as follows. Congratulations on your selection as a recipient of Temple University's 30 Under 30 Award. Save the date for this huge reception. You'll join your fellow groundbreaking honorees along with dis- distinguished awardees from a Gallery of Success program. And I thought, wow, wow, that's crazy. I didn't even know I was nominated, but, you know, it makes sense. I work hard. I deserve it. And sure enough, before I had a chance to tell anybody, five about five minutes later, I got another email saying, Hello, you recently received this email regarding the Temple's 30 Under 30 program. It was an error. We apologize for the confusion and the misunderstanding. In the meantime, please keep up with all things Temple alumni related with our Google Calendar. That is a, a pretty rough second email to get there. Now, you said it was within five minutes or so? Yeah, I... I I don't think I actually saw the first email until I read the second email. So they I were want back to back in my inbox. Could you imagine being the person? And I'm not sure what department of the, of the school would, would send these out. But could you be imagine being the person, maybe alumni relations, whatever it is, that realize, oh no, I sent. They sent these... it to everybody, like like a, a bunch of people that I went to college with. I, I see, got the same one. So they sent it to, to hundreds of people. So I mean, I think probably people have different emotions. I think. I was saying to you when you told me about this, you, yours is plausible. I mean, you're part of the evening show. You work for WIP. Now, at first, I thought it was just like uh, the media wing. Then I was like, all right, that's, I could see you being 30 under 30 in the media wing. But then you said it was the entire school. Yeah, and I'm sure there are doctors and business people who are making millions of that's saving lives. That's what I was like, that's thinking. That's far more important than what we do here. Right. So I, then I, then it became like, all right, that's a, a pretty small group to be in the top 30 of, of whatever they're honoring. But so say you hadn't gotten the second email, would you have begun the process of like getting a, a black tie, an outfit, getting a, you know, get yourself together? Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> what I would have done because even now, like, it seems so silly. Why would they pick me? And I think I probably would have had that same thought, like, this must be an error because that's happened to me in the past where I, I won an award for coaching youth basketball. I thought it was a mistake. I deleted the email and they had to email me again like a week later and say, why didn't you come pick up your award? Oh, you actually won that one. That one I did win. And I, I just disregarded it. I'm like, this is silly. It makes no sense. It was for somebody else. And then they sent me a thing like, can you please come? This is a big deal. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think what I would do if I was the uh, the alumni relations person that made the mistake. I, I I almost don't know if I would have sent the second email. It's 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 almost heartbreaking to send that second one. And I'm sure there are people out there who got the first one and they were deserving and maybe they were number 31 or 32 or 33 on the list and their hearts are broken. So how are you holding up? I'm I'm fine right now. Okay. <laughs> I just think it's so funny that you, you thought you were getting this big eye. Like, wait a second. Never mind. You're, you're not that. All right. We got it's a lot. It's cold. 
It, it is cold. It's and actually, someone should send an apology email. I mean, more than just like there should be an apology email from. School. I believe Temple University, their Twitter account, tweeted out, "You're all thirty under thirty to us." Yeah, that's pandering. Yeah, that's not true. All right, when we get back, Dave Dabrowski he was with Kevin Ritchie today. We'll play that for you, and they set up for the Sixers and the Blazers tonight. Dabrowski next on Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Welcome back, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Joe Giglio with you, Tucker Bagley behind the glass. You guys with us two one five five nine two nine four nine four. We will get you set when we trust the pregame coming up in a little bit for Sixers and the Blazers. But first, Dave Dabrowski is on the station today, and uh, I think it's worth listening to here. Dave Dabrowski on with Joe DeCamera, John Ritchie earlier today. I'm in the corner watching you kiss an unbelievable run unbelievable in october of 2022 and we're hoping for more up ahead in 2023 uh, and beyond uh the phillies uh, on monday night will be honored by the philadelphia sports writers association at the 118th annual awards banquet a banquet by the way i referenced this earlier that ty cobb and babe ruth attended back in the day this thing's been going on for a long time and the phillies are going to be honored on monday night as the uh, philadelphia team uh, of the year. Of course, Dave Dombrowski, the architect of the 2022 Phils, as he is the architect of the 2023 Phils, and he's the Phillies president of baseball operations as we broadcast from Parks Casino here today. Joe Cameron, John Ritchie, we are joined by the Phillies architect, Mr. Dave Dombrowski. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good. Super. Dave, congratulations on the honor. You know, I got to tell you, this must not have been easy for them because you guys get to the World Series. It all happens in 2022. The Eagles... The one seed, they might win the Super Bowl, but they can't clinch it in 2022. So Eagles, Phils, that that had to be a tough one. But look, congratulations to the organization. Obviously a great honor, and I'm sure you're just thrilled with what the team, the big leap the squad accomplished last season. Well, thank you. It it is quite an honor. And they also don't want to forget about the 76ers and what they're doing. So, um, I mean, it's been a great sports time in uh, Philadelphia. We're honored to be uh, noted like this. And, I mean, who knows? So maybe we can have two world championships in 23, and then they can decide between Eagles and uh, <laughs> Phillies at that point. Let's not forget about the 76ers, too. So it I is quite it. an honor, and we're thrilled. Hey, maybe three. You never know. Maybe three. Hey, Dave, let's, uh, we'll get into the, the season to come in a moment, but I'm just curious. If you put yourself back 12 months ago, you know, the, the organization hadn't made the playoffs for so long. You'd been in the role a short amount of time. What has these last three months been like for you? On a per- I'm just curious. You know, you go into a Wawa, you go into a store. What's been the reaction to you and to representing the Phillies after that run comparative to, you know, how hungry people were and how frustrated fans were to not having seen the team break through in a long time? Well, it's a great question. I think that, um, first of all, the it really started more um, not as – not really negative feelings at all. More people like say, let's go Phillies over my first time, my first year there. And then really when we got into the role, once Rob Thompson came on board in the middle of the season, so many people had then many more comments of the positive nature, like, hey, go get them. Club looks good. We're really happy the way it's going. And then all of a sudden, once we got into the playoff run and then you're on television a lot more and people are looking at you, a lot more notoriety in the sense I could be going through it for a jog throughout town and somebody would stop and say, hey, go Phillies. Uh, hey, let's go. Let's yeah. go get them. So much more notoriety in that regard and a, and a very positive feeling. And a lot of people giving thanks for what was accomplished. Now, we, we know we need to keep this up and keep on going. But I think that was the biggest change uh, for me. Dave, from your experience, how much will last season's success carry over to this regular season and postseason? 
Well, I think uh, it carries over, I think, in a lot of, in a few ways. Uh, it carries over in the sense that uh, the team now can believe in themselves, which they really have been short of doing for years. So now you realize you have a good team. Uh, we're capable of doing it. We have great leadership. I think they bonded more in that regard. And when you go through a postseason run, he, there's a lot more bonding that takes place between the club and family. So it's a great feeling in that regard. And, and also there's that, that, that feeling now that there's more of that little bit extra that they want. And we've made some additions, and I think that that helps in that regard too. But I think the other thing, though, that you, in, in contrast to that, that you have to be careful about, and I don't, I'm not concerned about our club, but you do have to be careful about is that um, you can't take anything for granted because you have to work just as hard or harder to accomplish what was accomplished. And and so, even out those three to two games in late May is just as important this year as it was last year. And you just always have to keep uh, in your mind that don't ever take anything for granted start from the first day of spring training. So it will carry over. I feel good about our club. We have a good team. Uh, Rob Thompson has said it, and I also think that um, I've had this said many times in the past. Well, what about the pressures attached? Well, the pressures attached for me is this is there's good pressure and there's bad pressure. Jim Leland always used to say to me, when we come back with a good club, he said, Dave, that's good pressure. We have a good club. If you, the, he said the bad pressure is is when people are asking you to do things with the expectations and you don't have a good club, but we yeah. do have a good club, and we're looking forward to going out there and, and, and perform against others. Dave Dombrowski with us here from the Phils. All right, Dave, let's get to 2023. I mean, big expectations, of course. Let's start with Bryce. It's been about two months since the surgery. What can you tell us about how his rehab is going and what is your expectation now for when he'll take the field in a major league game and when he'll be able to play right field in a big league game? Well, the surgery, first of all, has gone well. His rehab has gone well. So everything has been right along those lines. He's worked very hard. He's followed what the, the doctor has said. So all of that's been good. We're basically at the two-month period now. Um, the, the progression is still at sometime near the end of March will be able to start swinging a bat doing making that next step progression wise um, we had originally said that we would anticipate him being back before the all-star game right around that time period and I still think that's an accurate um, thought process at this point and anything before that um, you're you're very happy in that regard so um, th- that is our thought process right now and we'll see what takes place but everything surgery wise rehab wise has been great as far as throwing in the outfield is concerned, uh, I'm not sure they have told me all along. Of course, that's further down the line. They anticipate him being able to play the outfield at some time this year, um, later in the season, and uh, we'll just continue to go along those lines because they have really nothing now to change that prognosis. How difficult does that make it to plan for 2023 in right field from a personnel standpoint for you? Well, it, I mean, we did it last year, and I think that, Really, the planning perspective is it's an interesting point because last year when it happened, what it really did was take away the ability for Kyle Schwarber or Nick Castellanos to DH mm-hmm. more, which is really what the plans were. But I think in this case, it's obvious you can't go out there and make a big acquisition um, to fill your DH slash outfield role because we still have Schwarber and we still have Castellanos, and you know that that uh, Bryce is coming back at some point. So you just realize that's how it's going to be. I think we have enough good players that we can mix and match still. Uh, we've got Bowman third. 
he can DH at some point because we can play Sosa over there. Hoskins can DH at some point because Baum can go to first and Sosa can play third at that time. Riamulto could DH a little bit more, which he really did do last year because with Bryce being there. And I think we have enough depth in the outfield uh, with those with those two plus Marsh. Um, and we picked up a guy, Jake Cave, on waivers. We like Dalton Guthrie. What he did is an extra guy that you can mix and match in that regard. So I, I don't think you can go out and make a big acquisition and just keep your fingers crossed that um, Bryce comes back as quickly as possible. And, 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 I, and he will. If anybody can come back quickly, he's the guy. And I think we have a good enough club that we can continue to play well. And when he comes back, it's like making a huge acquisition at that point. We're also thrilled about Trey Turner. Uh, with that negotiation, what went into enticing him to become Phil? Well, I think there are a few things. Trey Turner, as you can imagine, had plenty of choices on where he wanted sure. to play, and it became out came obvious afterwards. A lot of times you hear in negotiation ploys, like, oh, he's got a lot bigger offer here, he's got a bigger offer there, and you're like, well, I don't know, is that true or not? Well, it came out that San Diego offered appreciably more than what he ended up taking from us. But I think there were a combination of factors. I mean, uh, first of all, um, we have a good club. He knows guys on the team. He's close with Harper. He's close with Schwarber. Um, he knows Kevin Long very well. So those were all really important factors for him. Um, he wanted to be on the East Coast. He lives in Florida, wanted to be on the East Coast. Also be in a position where uh, training and spring training, if he could, would be in Florida. And, and it really, it, not to go without saying, is it really important. His wife only is from about 45 minutes away from the Philadelphia ballpark. So um, that was very important, too. So that combination of factors and knowing that the desire of the club to win, uh, what was said about the team from other individuals, him watching us play, but it also the vicinity of his wife being from the area, I think, was very important. Hmm. Dave Dombrowski with us. Dave, I know, you know who leads off is, is the manager's decision, Rob Thompson, but I'm curious, from your end, do you have a philosophy on, on which sort of type of player you prefer the, the classic speed player that can use his leg and steal bases or a bopper like schwarber who you know obviously can can you know hit a, a ton of homers um do you have a preference stylistically well that's a great that's another great question it's one you can debate for a long time i mean i think ideally uh, i like somebody with some speed up there but it's hard to argue with the success of what kyle schwarber did so you can make an argument either way it's nice to start off a game one to nothing um, when he hits the ball of the ballpark like that. But I also like the ability to have somebody on base that puts the pressure on somebody right off the bat from a pitcher when he gets on um, the threat aspect of the stealing. So I, I guess for me, I'd say, oh, I like the speed aspect, but I, I, it's, it, on base is extremely important. Uh, Schwarbs was down on base last year. But I think also what kind of goes into it is, is that your lineup in this regard, you can make an argument either way, but you want to make – Make sure that you're not susceptible versus, let's say, a left-hand pitching where you bunch a bunch of your left-hand indicators up in the lineup, and all of a sudden that becomes more vulnerable with a left-hander the way people mix and match nowadays. So that can also be a factor in how you eventually put your lineup together. Dave Dombrowski with us. Dave, how do you weigh, when, when you have organizational meetings and you have your, your top brass in the room, how do you weigh these two facts? You reach the World Series – and came within two games of winning the World Series. But in the regular season, you lost the division to two different teams by over 10 games. How do you balance that as you plan, hey, we gotta, we got to get better, we want to be great? How do, you, how do you approach that? Because obviously if you lose two out of three games in the first series you know, to the Cardinals, which you didn't, but if you did, it would be a completely different 
public sentiment about the 2022 fills. How do you weigh that? Sure. Well, I think you, you weigh it in a factor. I mean, first of all, I, I think that we already started to weigh that because if you just felt comfortable with the way your club was, you wouldn't have made the additions that we made. So you know that you want to get better and strive to win a world championship. And we all realize that anything can happen. I've been with clubs that have been really, really good that unfortunately have gotten knocked off in the in the second round of the play. You haven't even made the World Series. You go to the World Series with a team and you get knocked off and you think you have a better club. But it's a situation where I think that last year, as good as our club played, there was room for improvements. And I think our record can be misleading. And another fact is that we had a significantly better record percentage-wise when Bob Thompson became our manager. So that also, we played basically at a 95-100 to win pace in that regard. But still, you need to get better. That's why we lost some players on our club last year over the wintertime. We lost a lot of payroll, um, which gave us the ability to make some moves to try to get better with our team, thus the signing of a Turner, thus the Tyon Walker and some of the bullpen moves that we made. So I think, first of all, you don't rest on this, having the same club. You try to get better personnel-wise, and I think that we've done that. Secondly, you're in a spot where with the, with the way we play with Rob Thompson, um, we are a better ball club than what our record showed it even in the beginning with 87 wins. Mm. And I think the way you look at it is that you know that you can play with those clubs. And really, it's easy to see, and I've said this all along, that's why the supporting cast is so important. When you start with some of the players that we have, with Harper, with Turner now, with Riamolto, with Schwarber, you're talking about four of the best players in the game at their particular positional players, and you have Wheeler and you have Nola, two of the best 20 pitchers in the game of baseball, starting pitcher-wise and good supporting cast. So you don't take anything for granted, and you know you have to get better, and your goal is to win as many games as you possibly can during the regular season. So that, to me, is how you, you approach it. You don't take anything for granted because a lot of times you get into postseason, like you said, and I, I think back to that first game with St. Louis. We're down 2 to nothing yeah. going into the ninth inning, and Helsey falls apart, which doesn't happen with him. He's like the best closer in baseball at that point, or one of the best. And all of a sudden, we score six runs, and Segura hits the ball right through the hole at second base, and Marsh hits a ball by Arenado at third base. And those things normally don't happen. So you've got to be in a position where you don't take anything for granted. You know it's going to be tough, and you start off that way in the very beginning. Uh, speaking of you know, not taking it for granted, we love the moves this offseason. What's left for you to do this offseason? Well, I think our club is basically set um, – Going into spring training, um, our starting pitching, we like it the way it is with the four veteran starters. We want to keep an open spot um, for a young pitcher, it being Falter, Sanchez, Painter, um, one of those guys. Um, so you can always improve your depth, but you're not going to improve that with big league depth at this point. You bring those guys with AAA, so I think we're pretty well set. I feel real good about our bullpen and actually feel very good about our positional players. Um, when we did make the trade for Soto for the Tigers, left us a little bit more vulnerable with a, an extra positional player that can go out there and play center field. We liked all Guthrie, but with losing Matt Beerling, who we did like, um, it keeps us open-minded to that. But that's more, I think, a role that you have to fill by opening day than worrying about uh, filling it before you go to spring training. And we do have a lot of depth in our bullpen at this point with the guys that we have that would be almost given and the depth that we have between guys that have been on the big league club and guys coming up in our minor league system. So I think that that's the area that I would keep open-minded is looking at that and, and the outfield with a little more depth in that regard. What's Andrew Painter's reasonable chance to make the team out of spring training? 
Well, I'm not very good at percentage-wise and all that, but I think he has a realistic chance. Um, he's a very, very talented individual. Um, and, but he, he, it's not given by any means. But when I've been in a spot that I've had very talented, been associated, been fortunate to be with some really good, young, talented pitchers coming out of uh, the draft like him, and they've made the club and been very, very productive big league pitchers. When he gets ready, and I guess we'll see how he handles it, he has four pitches already, and they're above average, three of them at least. And yeah, He does the little things well, which is very unusual. He fields his position well. He's quick to the plate. He's very athletic. Um, a lot of it will be dependent upon how he handles it in spring training, but I think he's got a reasonable chance to make the big league club. How much will you need to manage his innings pitched? We will have to do that all year long. It will be something he's been over 100 innings, uh, barely. But um, I, it's something that we've been able to do and been able to do throughout our career. We've got a lot of smart people, and with all the information that we have from a, a medical perspective, a metric perspective nowadays, when you can look at just the, not only the velocity dropping on a fastball, which we've always had that ability, but now you can see where guys' arm might drop two inches because he's a little bit more tired, the spin rate's not quite as good. But you're in a position where um, you can do things. You can use a sick man rotation at times. You can skip starts when you have um, extra days off. You can work around the all-star break. So those are all things that you can do naturally. So we'll have to watch his innings. It'll be something uh, you wouldn't look for him to go out there, like, let's say, 40 years ago and throw 300 innings, uh, which sometimes they did. So it'll be something that we'll watch. But I think we have enough pitching depth that we can handle that. Dave, is an Aaron Nola contract extension with one year left on his deal right now, is a contract extension a priority for the organization? Oh, it's something we like to do. We want Aaron to be in the organization for a long time. There's no question about that. We love him. We love his abilities. Um, I think he likes, in fact, I know he likes it in Philadelphia. So that's something that will be in our mind. It's never easy to be able to get done, but uh, we'd love to keep Aaron in the organization for a long time. Is, is Reese Hoskins' off-season status set, meaning he's definitely a Phil in 2023 and is your mindset that the most likely scenario is he plays out the season and you figure out whether to retain him thereafter once he hits the open market well i don't want this to sound uh, in a negative vein because it's not but i don't ever use like a definite so you because know, i never know what ends up happening um, but our plans are by all means that reese is part of our ball club um, that he's our first baseman. We like him a lot. We think that he'll be with us this year. I don't think there's any reason that he would not be. Uh, beyond this season, we'll end up seeing what happens. He does not have an agent that usually likes to uh, sign contracts before somebody becomes a free agent. Um, so I, I understand that situation, but I look forward to Reese being an important part of our ball club all year long. Um, who knows what will happen in the future, but he's definitely a guy that uh, we look forward to being in our lineup this year. Dave, how much confidence do you have that Castellanos will rebound the season? I have a lot of confidence in that regard. I know uh, last year he was, was not a good year for Nick. Um, he's a much better hitter than that and a uh, much better player than that. So I think he'll bounce back. He's one of the best hitters in baseball, really. Um, he made the, I mean, the all-star, made the final three all outfield spots for um, the all-star postseason in 2021. So. Um, he's a much better hitter than he showed last year, so I think he'll bounce back, and that's very important for us. And if we're going to have a, you know, we have a good team you know, with the capabilities of being a great team and some of the things that we've talked about, but Costayano's bouncing back can be an important part of that and the continued growth of our young players, the Bohms, the Stotts, the, the Marshes, um, watching a guy like Painter jump in there. Those can 
you know, they can make a difference between a really good time club and being a great club. And I think Castellanos can bounce back and be that type of player for us. Dave, a fascinating storyline. And a couple final minutes here with Dave Dombrowski. Um, we were fascinated, Dave, when we found out after the season that Rob Thompson was of the mindset to retire uh, before, you know, getting the reins of the club and that he had informed you that he was going to retire. That was going to be his last year in baseball. What's your sense now of how long he wants to be the skipper and if he's kind of shifted his mind to, you know, hey, if this goes well, I can, I can and want to do this for, you know, five or so years? Well, I think uh, his mindset has changed completely. I, I think he was totally reinvigorated with the, the role. Of course, did a great job for us. So I think uh, right now, I don't think there's any time limit on how long he would like to do it. Uh, he, he's got that next step, which you know, I, sometimes when you're in that supportive role and you just think you're ready for it, um, and maybe it just doesn't happen, you can get a little stale. But I think at this point he's not stale at all. In fact, I, I mean, he's excited every single day you pick up the phone. And I think he'll keep that way. He's, he works out every day. He's in great shape. His mind is good. Um, he's a great baseball man. I don't even know how he would have handled it because stepping back when he did it because he's at the ballpark at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning all the time in spring training. <laughs> oh, wow. So I don't know what he was going to do. I, I mean, I often ask, well, what do you think he's going to do with all those hours? Because he just loves being there. But um, I was surprised when I heard it. I understood the explanation, but I think he's totally reinvigorated right now. Dave, congratulations on the 2022 success of the club, and obviously the town is super psyched. I mean, in about a month you guys are in spring training, and we're, we're hoping for another big-time year. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you soon. All All right, right, you, there he is. That was great. Listen to Kevin Ritchie today with uh, Dave Dabrowski there talking about Bryce Harper's timeline. Rob Thompson, that is an amazing story. The topper was planning when last season began it to be his last in baseball. Now uh, he's obviously earned his chance to be this team's manager moving forward, which I I, I felt last you know, like a month in. I was like, this guy's the guy. I mean, he's got to be the manager of this baseball team. And little did I know they'd end up in the World Series. I, I, I think the Schwarber-Turner thing is going to be who leads off is going to be the story of spring training. And I love how he doesn't rule out Andrew Painter starting this thing in the opening day rotation. I love it. This, he, they might have a phenom here. Uh, as a starting pitcher in the minor leagues. I can't wait to watch him pitch. So, a lot there. If there's one concern I have, and we'll get to address the pregame, I don't think they're going to do much to address it. But I do think that trade they made a couple weeks ago to get Soto uh, in the bullpen, which I think was a – they made a good trade. I mean, it's it's worth that cost. Think about Maton and, and Veerling. The, the one thing about that is Veerling did play a role here uh, as that guy that could play the outfield, all three positions, and hit against lefties. They're missing that. And and without him, and if Marsh can't hit lefties, they're gonna have they're gonna, that's gonna be a hole. I mean, it's, I don't think it's a season changing kind of thing, but they'll have to fix that if Marsh can't hit lefties. I'm sure they hope he improves to become a truly everyday player. We'll see. I'm I'm still skeptical on that with Brandon Marsh. All right, trust the pregame delivered to you at PGW. PGW delivering safe, reliable energy to Philadelphia for more than 100 years. PGW Energy for all of us. Visit PGWorks.com. For details, Sixers and the Blazers coming up top of the hour as the Sixers continue their trek across the West Coast, and they're perfect so far. They beat the Jazz, they beat the Lakers, they beat the Clippers. They're getting contributions here. Max is coming off the bench. This is um, it's very encouraging the way the Sixers play now for in a very extended period of time. Dude, this isn't like two weeks. I mean, it's just, we're bordering on two months. It's certainly a month and a half of good basketball for the Sixers. They are two point favorites tonight over the Portland Trailblazers in this game. Uh, Portland, Portland is kind of a nondescript team. They are 21-23. and 23. That is basically tied 
for the last spot. You know, they do 10 playoff teams. Now you have the 7 through 10. There's the play-in thing. 1 through 6 is guaranteed their spot. Portland is 21-23, and tied for the last spot. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I would say the West has – the West probably isn't as good 1 through – four as the east but it's better at the top worse at the bottom like the the top in the in in the west has two outstanding teams denver memphis you know both 700 winning percentage the bottom has two really bad teams but there's a there's a big middle in the western conference that is separated by like four and a half games like the three seed down to portland who i guess is the or even the three seed down to the lakers let's just go with that the lakers are in that 12th spot i guess uh 13th spot uh, and Portland's in this mix. Like they're all separated by six games. It's re- the West is really weird. Where like a 10, 11, 12, it's like yeah, they're not good. But a good week, they might be in the four or five spot. So I don't look at Portland as a pushover. They're about a five hundred team. They're good at home, eleven and eight. Um, and but they have not played good basketball lately. They're three and seven in the last ten. So if the Sixers play their game, uh, they should beat this team. They are better than the Portland Trail Blazers. We'll see if the Sixers continue to play better basketball on this trip and on the west and on the road. So the Sixers actually now, and this is a really good thing moving forward, and I've been tracking this all year because it is bizarre. So this year in the NBA, I'm going to count the teams that have a winning record away from home. Boston, Sixers, Nets, Knicks, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings. That's it. That's the list. Nobody could win on the road in the NBA this season. I have I have no explanation for this. I mean, the one thing I've, I've kind of theorized is teams rest the players on the road, like their stars. They don't. Like the Sixers have done this with Joel Embiid over the years, right? If he's going to miss a game and they have a game at home, then the next night they're on the road, they'll kind of finagle his rest so the paying customers here in Philadelphia don't get screwed. I don't know if other teams are doing this because everyone you know kind of does load management. Maybe that's it. Do you have any theories on why nobody wins away from home anymore? It makes no sense. I think at one point the Warriors had the best home record and the worst road record, and they're like 500. They're like 12 and 3 at home and, and 3 and 12. Strange. On the road, it, it is weird. And we saw it before. Remember a few years ago, the Sixers were the best team at, at home. They were something like 26 and 1, and right. they were below 500 on the road. It happens in the NBA, but this year it just it seems so extreme. And in a year where. There are more contending teams. It's baffling to just see what an advantage home teams have. Yeah, and the Sixers didn't have a, a positive home a road record until this trip. They were 8-9 on the road, and they won the three in a row. I mean, if they lose the last two, they'll go home back at 500 of the road. It's just it's it's the way the league is, and I think it matters for, for um, you know, playoff seating and all that kind of stuff. So Sixers and the Blazers coming up tonight. Trust the pregame delivered to you by PGW. PGW delivering safe, reliable energy to Philadelphia for more than 180 years. PGW Energy for all of us. Visit pgworks.com for details. Tonight's starting five, P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, DeAnthony Melton, James Harden. Once again, Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench as the sixth man. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I think it could be a good thing for this team, especially their defense, down the stretch of the season. Uh, Agreed. I think adding Melton really shores up the, the defensive side of the ball. We talked about it a little before their last game. They have a top 10 defense. They have a top 10 offense. They've never really had both at the same time. When Harden and Maxey were out, they were a great defensive team. Their offense slowed down a little bit, and with those guys back, their offense has picked up. I think they're third in the league offensively since since those guys are back, but they've struggled defensively. So adding a guy like Melton, 
who can kind of get in the passing lanes and, and create a lot of deflections and be an on-ball defender for opposing point guards. I think really helps this team who, when you roll out Harden, Harris, and Tucker, not a lot of speed defensively between those three guys. No, there's not. All right, back tomorrow night for a football Friday before a playoff game. I can't wait. I can't wait for tomorrow night. We'll get set for the Eagles and the Giants tomorrow night. Coming up next, we've got TK. Tom Kelly up next on Sports Radio 94 WIP. The NFL players are heating up. And with FanDuel in partnership with Valley Forge Casino, every play is a rush. New customers join today, so you can bet the division round with $150 of free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Sign up, promo code Gilio This weekend, I might do the Saturday tease with my $150 bet. I would tease down the Eagles and the Chiefs. I believe they'll both win. Are they both going to dominate by double digits? Maybe not. Could be a close game in there. But I like to tease those two teams down. America's number one sportsbook has all your favorite bets. From money line of points, spreads, player props. Plus, with FanDuel, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. All in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. I really like the FanDuel app. FanDuel Sportsbook is the official partner of 94 WIP. Football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet. To get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code G-I-G-L-I-O. Make every moment more FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL.